If you have a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 4, and uh, man, what a journey it's been through the study of Colossians. Uh, Josh told me this was uh, lesson number 20, or sermon number 20. I thought I was on 15. I lost five somewhere. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you've got 20 in your mind. <laughs> Maybe you got 10 or 5. I don't know. But uh, we are on 20, as he said. But uh, it's been a great study. I've been blessed by this study. I've been challenged by this study. Um, you know, it's coming down the last couple of messages here, and the series has been great during my walk with this time that we're living in. Man, what a, what a crazy time we're living in America, right? Uh, what a wild, wild time. And uh, I think we're literally seeing the results of a nation that turns away from God's word, turns away from God, and, and everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, which is scary because, you know, you have a lot of people justifying and living in such a manner um, that the Bible calls wrong and sinful, but yet they're saying it's good. They take evil and call it good, take good and call it evil, which is really, really crazy. But we must, we must not lose hope, right? As God gives us breath, we're here on this earth. He has a purpose for us. He has a mission for us. And uh, throughout Colossians, it's clear, Paul gives us the purpose. And then this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about our mission as well. Uh, but the purpose and mission is clearly defined and uh, we can apply it to our lives, and we can get even clearer, hopefully, by the end of the sermon today, we can see really what our mission is and what Paul really talks about our mission. Our purpose, as we've been sharing through the beginning of Colossians, is for us to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's one thing that we said as a church, that our goal is to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's more than anything else we do, no matter what age you are. No matter what your social status is, no matter whether you're single or married, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're a worker or a boss, as Paul says, whether you're male or female, whatever it is, we are to be actively becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. Um, and all through this letter, Paul taught us that Jesus is the preeminent one. He's the preeminent one in who he is and his character. He's the preeminent one in salvation. He should be the preeminent one in our walk with Christ. Uh, he should be the preeminent one in all that we have. And Paul says because he's preeminent, that when we trust in him and we repent of our sins, we believe on the preeminent Christ, we become born again. We become in Christ. Then, not only in Christ, but Christ comes to live in us. So we are in Christ and Christ is in us. The chapter 3 says because of that, Here's some very practical truths of what this looks like lived out. When God begins to work on us and begins to change us and begins to mold us into being like Jesus Christ, chapter 3 becomes a reality in our life. Chapter 3 is not something that's uh, unattainable. It's something that's an outflow of making Jesus Lord of your life. When you have the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your personal life, in your family life, in your church life, in your work life, everything changes. Chapter 3 shows us how it all changes, and the purpose for us is for us to become more like Christ in every area of our life, no matter where we're at. And so this morning, Paul turns a little bit in chapter 4 from the purpose to our mission. So we are to be like Christ, but now he gives us a, a, a point or a, shows us what our mission should be. That the mission now is to share Jesus Christ wherever you are with whoever you're around. Whatever your influence is, you should be sharing Jesus Christ. And I love how one pastor phrased it, to know God and to make Him known. Wouldn't that be a great mission statement for your life? 
and for me to know God and to make him known. And so Paul transitions here in chapter 4 to emphasize our mission as disciples, but the guiding principle is the same. You know, I've heard a lot of preachers preach about God's mission. I've heard them say about witnessing. I've heard them use legalism to do it. Hey, if you're not witnessing that person to work, they're going to hell and blood's on your hands. And man, you just feel really, really guilty. Like, I got to witness, I have to witness, I have to witness because there's blood on my hands and it's just legalism. Or maybe it's intellectualism that people want to sound smart or they want to share their knowledge that they have of the Bible. Or maybe it's just whatever it may be. But, but Paul says the guiding key is not legalism, it's not intellectualism. It's the key is lordship of your life. If, if Jesus is Lord of your life, it will change you and your character, but it will also change your mission. You will be more like Christ, and you will share Christ with the people who you are around. So if Jesus is Lord of your life, then you will share Jesus with others. Living a Christ-centered life or a life centered on the Lordship of Christ, it is automatic that you will share with others. It's an outflowing of it. Uh, much similar to if you are a sports-centered person. Many times you spend a good portion of your time talking about sports. Um, if you are a pet-centered person, if you're one of those people that got a lot of pets and you love your pets, it won't be long until you're talking about your pets, right? Uh, if you're one of those that are Christ-centered, it won't be long. You should be spending a portion of your time talking about Jesus Christ or sharing Jesus Christ with others, just because it's an outflow of it. If you're one of those crazy grandparents, right, that has a new grandchild, within five minutes, you know, they're swiping their phone, showing pictures of their grandkid, picture and picture and picture and picture, right? Not because they have to. Why? Because they want to. They love their grandkids. That's a part of their life. It's something that's an outflow of their heart. And Paul is saying in chapter 4, when we love Jesus Christ and He's the Lord of our life, the outflow of the mission is going to be you're going to want to share Christ. You're going to share Him, and you've got to be prepared for it. You've got to enjoy it. So Paul gives us three keys here for being a good and faithful witness for Jesus Christ of how to share Christ. So let's begin in verse 2. I want to read all the way to verse 6. We'll go talk about these three principles. So he says in verse 2, Continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I, make it, that I may make, make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom to those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be uh, with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So Paul first says, pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Listen, a good part of witnessing is praying for those opportunities. Is that when we have a prayer life that's full of praying for opportunities to share the gospel, that when it's a priority in our life, so much so that we pray for that, that we prepare our hearts for that, that we pray that we are able to share the gospel. Paul says here to, to devote yourselves to prayer. Like, be persistent at it. Earnestly devote yourselves, being watchful or being vigilant, to continue in something, to give it your steadfast attention. 
to persevere, to hold fast, to not let go. In the early church, you see the same phrase, same word in Acts 1.14 where it says, they all joined together fervently or consistently or devoted in prayer. See, I think one of the reasons why we don't have a lot of power in our churches today is because we don't devote ourselves to that kind of prayer. Like, like we pray occasionally, but we don't pray persistently. Like, like we may say a prayer for a lost person one or two nights or a week, but then after a while we begin to give up on it. We, we don't persistently, continually pray for lost people. And even for us as Christians, when was the last time you prayed for a lost person by name? When was the last time you prayed for a friend or a coworker or someone by name? See, a lot of times we get too busy to pray, but the Bible said we should be so much about praying that it doesn't matter how busy you are. That it's, prayer is a conversation in your life. Prayer is an essential part of your life. It's a regular part of your life, and we should, preserve, we should devote ourselves or preserve in prayer with vigilance, which means to be awake or alert or watchful, right? That we should be alert and watchful. That when we run into a person, we should say, Lord, help me give me an opportunity to share Christ with this person because I'm watchful. You never know what people are going through. You never know where people are in a stage of life that they might need the word. Like, I can't count how many times I've witnessed and said, thank you for doing that. I needed to hear And we're prayerful and we are persevering and we are looking out. We're vigilant. Look for the opportunities. Many times we might say, well, I never have an opportunity to share Christ. Well, listen, it's because you're not being vigilant. If we're vigilant in prayer and we're vigilant in watching for others, that we are there, we're vigilant, we're alert, we're being watchful. We're watching over people around us, we're watching over opportunities, we're watching people around them. And then also Paul gives another key to fervent prayers, be thankful. That as we pray, as we are thankful and grateful, that's kind of the fuel to the fire for prayer. You see, when we pray, it's not dead, uh, you know, stale prayers. It's prayer out of a grateful and humble heart for what God has done for us. That God has been so good to us that the thanksgiving outflows of our heart to keep us fresh, to keep us alive, to keep us afire uh, in our heart. And as we pray, we pray with thanksgiving. And you say, wow, this is pretty easy for someone like Paul. Really? Paul was writing this in a prison. He was literally in a prison cell, and he says, remember to pray with thanksgiving. Like, like Paul was not in the perfect situation. He was like, and you might say, well, I got a bad job, or I got a bad situation, or I got a bad, you know, this or that. No, Paul was in one of the worst situations ever, and he says, pray with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Be persistent. Be watchful. And pray that God opens the door for the message of Christ. As he gets here now, he's interceding for them. He's saying, open the door, pray for us, and make the door the mystery for which I'm now in change. Paul is saying, this is something I'm, I'm paid the price for. And he's saying, make sure you pray. And if the Apostle Paul says he needs prayer, we all need prayer, right? Listen, I need prayer. You want a better pastor? Pray for me. Don't pray for another pastor, but pray for me, all right? <laughs> I mean, you, don't put that on your list. Lord, give us another pastor. Say, Make our pastor better, right? And you want better sermons? Pray for better sermons. And I'll pray that you listen better. All right? So you pray better. You pray for me to preach better, and I'll pray for you to listen better, right? Uh, we all need prayer. This is the Apostle Paul. He's saying, Get me, go, let me pray. Matter of fact, in Corinthians, Paul prays for boldness. 
You're talking about one of the greatest missionary witnesses of all time is praying for boldness? Listen, we all need prayer. Paul is saying, pray for opportunities. Pray for the door. Pray for us to share Christ. Pray for us to show the mystery of Christ, which we already know it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's all about Jesus. The gospel is all about the Christ-centered life and sharing the most meaningful part of our life, which is Christ. And to preach Christ and Christ and those things, he's saying, I'm in the chains for this. Pray for me that we share the gospel no matter where we are, how difficult the situation is. Pray. And not only pray, pray that we, as we proclaim the message clearly. He says, pray that I proclaim it clearly or pray that I do it uh, in a way that everyone understands. So we don't even pray for uh, just open doors, but open mouths. And we pray that we could speak the words. Paul is saying it's necessarily necessary to proclaim the gospel clearly in contrast to the false teachers. Like, like the message of Jesus Christ is not a complicated message. Like, like you don't have to have a theology degree to tell somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it is one of, it's not the job of a preacher or a teacher or a trained seminary professor. It's the job of every Christian to be a witness of what Christ has done for you in your heart and life. That through the gospel, we can share a gospel in such a way that people will understand it. And as we share it with them, the power is not in what we say. The power is in the message of the gospel. It's the words that we use, and we have to use words to be able to tell them. So he's saying, let me use the words, let me explain, let me share the mystery of the gospel. Paul, saying why I'm here in prison, don't get me out of prison, don't give me another house, don't make my life easier, let my words be powerful. Let me see people come to know Christ. That's my mission. My mission is not an easy life or a better life. It is a mission that I share Christ with all those around me and give me the opportunity and be in prayer and devoted prayer and share Christ with those. Man, in our life, would it not transform our life if we see our life through a different mission? Not for an easier life, not for a life with more money, not with a life for better people in our life, but that we have a life on mission for Christ to share Jesus with those who are around us. And for us as Christians, it's for us to devote ourselves to prayer, pray that God opens the doors, pray that we open our mouths, and pray that we share Christ with others effectively. Paul says to pray fervently, passionately, persistently, vigilantly, thankfully. That's the way we should begin is prayer. So in your life, how much do you devote to praying for lost people in your life? How much do you pray? How much of your time do you pray for lost people in your life or lost people you come in contact with. Paul is saying, if you want to be a great witness, you want to be on mission for God, you got to learn how to pray for lost people. Pray for the mission. Pray that God keeps you on track. Second thing Paul says, not only pray, but he says to live your life in light of the gospel. That in verse 5, he says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsider. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, in, in one translation as well, if you see it, we're given the general principle that if you talk it, you need to walk it as well. Listen, nothing is easier than talking it sometimes, but it really, as we talk it, we must walk it as well. It takes both. It takes us to talk it. It takes us to walk it. And for us to give light in the gospel, it says to be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, right? That, that we live our life in the light of the gospel. So when people are outsiders, the word outsiders means those who are non-Christians, those who are outside of the faith of Christ. And, and, you know, this should help our perspective as well. When we run into people 
We don't see people by color. We don't see people by age. We don't see people by social status. We should see them as in Christ or not in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Either you're in the covenant or you're outside of the covenant of God. And he says, for you, as you walk towards those who are outside of the Christian faith, watch the way you act. Make sure you're wise. In other words, make sure you're, you match your talk uh, with your walk. Rightly or wrongly, people will judge us by the way we say, what we say, and by what we do. It's been said that the only translation of the gospel some people will ever read is your life. What's the gospel according to you? And if we could take our life, take our actions today, we can write them down on a piece of paper, and we can line them up next to the real gospels in the Bible, would they be congruent? Would people see people who's full of grace and mercy? Would they see people whose lives have been changed? Would they see people who trust in God in every situation? Would, if, some, if you're the only Bible someone ever reads, would it be a good testament to the Lord Jesus Christ? I, I love what one other preacher said. People, may never, people do not read the Bible. They read those who do read the Bible. And in our life, we have people that watch us. Listen, it happens all the time. And for us as Christians, we got to be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, living wisely to present the gospel to people that's around you in the way that we live and the, what we say. You think about it, our reputation has a great impact on people's uh, reception to the gospel. We can turn people on to the gospel, we can turn people off to the gospel just by the way that we act. If you act smug and arrogant and know-it-all and better than everyone else, guess what? It's not going to be a good witness for the Lord. It's not a good testament to Jesus Christ. And we'll, but if we live a godly life, an upright life, of one of good reputation, of courtesy and respect, and even admitting when we're wrong. You know, I, I find this interesting because a lot of people say, well, I would witness more, but I'm not a perfect person. Well, what I find for most people are not looking or expecting people to be perfect, but they do expect them to say when they're wrong and to say they're sorry when they're wrong. And that's, a, that's, that's something that's very easy to do for us as Christians, but yet many times our pride wraps up. And instead of humbling ourselves and asking someone for forgiveness or being the bigger person and saying, hey, we might, we might have disagreed, and I'm sorry if I offended you. Like, like that goes a lot further than just saying, I'm never wrong. I never do anything wrong. And don't ever expect me to apologize. But for us as Christians, if we treat people with respect and we apologize when we're wrong or when we offend someone, because we're going to offend someone at some point in time, that's where Paul's saying, live wise, be, be a good testimony for us to remember this. I think one thing that would help us with this is to remember that we were outside of Christ at one time too. You know, sometimes I, I do, in my own heart, get a little critical of people, and I look to them, and I think to myself, why are they doing that? And I try to hold them to a standard that they don't even have because they're not even Christians. Like, like I must realize that they're, they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, and they don't know Jesus Christ, so they, they must act that way. They have to act that way because they're not redeemed. They don't know Christ, and guess what? I was once that way, too. Like, like me without Christ, I would be right there with him. I, like I would be of the worst of the worst. Like Paul says, I, I was a sinner of sinners. I would be the chief of sinners. Like, like for us to keep that humbleness in our heart, to know that without Christ, we are of all pitiful as well. We, we are just as sad. 
And, and for us as Christians, for us to remember that, and when we look to people, not judge them so harshly that you can't remember when you was in that position yourself. And you know, not to stand outside, not to be critical, not to be judgmental, but to be broken for them. And, and to have a heart that bends for them, and a heart that is one that's on fire for them, and a heart that has a good attitude to those who are outside, and also to make every, um, to make the most of every opportunity. Here the word means to be wise, or I mean to, to redeem the time, to buy back the time. Literally it means to, to buy up the time. And really, for us, in original language, when we read it, it indicates a, a, an additional intensity to the action, meaning that we redeem the time, and it's so important so that it, it actually highlights what we're supposed to be doing, that, that it should motivate us so much so that we know we have a, a limited time, that it should make us even more so want to witness and share Christ and make the most of every opportunity. That every day that we spend is a day that we'll never get back. Every week that we go that we don't share Christ will not be a week that we don't get back. A month, and he's saying redeem the time, buy back the time, make up every opportunity that you can. Level one pastor said it's not like window shopping or a leisurely stroll through the mall. It's more like a shopping spree buying hurricane supplies when a category five storm is right off the coast. You know, he's like, don't think you're just strolling through this world and nothing's ever going to change and no one's and that we have all the time in the world the truth is our time is limited and not only our time but their time is limited as well and your opportunities are limited you know sometimes we feel like people's going to be with us forever or you can have that job forever or you're going to live in a certain place forever but we people move People change jobs. People pass away. People have different things that happen in their life. And like Psalm says, teach us to number our days that we may gain the heart of wisdom. That, that every day we get up, let's take it and make sure that we know our time is limited and that we must redeem the time, make the most of every single opportunity until Christ comes home. Make sure you're sharing Christ effectively and take the, take, take sure, make sure you take every opportunity to share the gospel. You for me, this one's tough because I'm a pretty busy guy, you know. And one of the things that I do when I get in work mode, I don't like to talk to a lot of people. You know what I mean? Like when I go to the tile shop, I want to go get the tile. I want to get my stuff. I don't go to the job. I don't really care about the person that's loading my car up, right? I'm out there 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. I got to go down JTV, and if I get there 10 minutes early, you know, I won't be able to hit the traffic, and I won't be able to do this, and I go in the store, and I want to get my stuff. I want to get back out. I want to go to work. I want to go, and you just brush by, and I get home. It's like, man, I didn't have a chance to talk to anyone today. And I get to thinking, well, yeah, I saw the guy at the store. I saw the guy at the tile shop. I saw the guy on the job. I saw it. And you start thinking back of all the opportunities that you had that you just blew right on by because I was worried about my physical work. I was worried about material work. But yet as Christians, we have a mission that far exceeds that. That, that when we run in and we encounter these people and we encounter situations, uh, I love uh, one evangelism training that I took, uh, took called it Divine Appointments. That, that there are people that God puts in your life at that certain point in time for you to slow down to share Christ with that person. It's a divine appointment that God has prepared their hearts for you and you ready to do it and to take and make the most of every opportunity. 
that as we go through the day, look, be on the lookout, be vigilant, be sure, and be ready to make the most of every opportunity. So pray, to be vigilant, make sure you're taking the opportunities, and thirdly, to guard your speech for the gospel, the sake of the gospel. So you think about it, pray, live your life, and then guard your speech. If you think about it, as we live our life and as we talk about our life, it's important to our witness. It's the combination we talked about earlier, the word and the deed, the, the words and the actions. And, and as Paul told us already earlier in Colossians 3:17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's the command. That's the, that's the lordship of Christ in your life. And now as he comes, he's saying, look at the importance of word in verse 6. Let your conversation, let your words always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every one. Think about that. The instruction here is let your conversation always be full of grace. This means that the words that come out of your mouth should be edifying. They should be loving. They should be thoughtful. They should be kind. They should be courteous. It's a testimony that people gave concerning Christ. When they spoke of him, they said they were all amazed at the gracious words that come from his lips, the same exact word, the love that came from him, the, the thoughtfulness, the edifying, the purposeful words of his mouth. We need to be like David and ask God to keep watch over our mouth, right? And sit watch over the door of our lips that it may always be seasoned with grace. As we think about it, for the sake of the gospel, as we talk to people, it should be full of grace. But not only grace, seasoned with salt, because we are salt in this world. As we come to the truth of God's word is that it is grace, and it's full of love, and it's full of, of great things, but it's also kind of salty, right? It, it's salty for us to hear that we're sinners, that we missed the mark, that in the good news, there is some bad news. That, that we must not throw away all the bad news. That we must not throw away the truth of the matter. What, what good would it be if you totally and completely ignore the fact of sin in someone's life and just tell them all the good news? Listen, it, it's, not, it's not fair to them and it's not, it's not good for us as Christians as well. It's like going to a doctor and he knows there's something wrong with you, but he doesn't want to hurt your feelings so he doesn't tell you. What good is that? It's not good. And same as a Christian. Our speech cannot leave out the bad news. And in our world today, and churches, and in, in, in evangelism, and way that we want to share Christ with the world, it's that we must never tell the bad news. That we must shrink away from it. We must hide it. Bring them in. Bring them along. And then spring it on to them after you know them four or five years. Well, well the Bible's not like that. We're not okay. We missed the mark. And in the good news, there's got to be bad news. There has to be a point where we share with them and be seasoned with salt. We need the truth. Listen, God loves the sinner, but he hates sin. He doesn't like sin. He doesn't like sin in our life. He doesn't like sin in other people's life. He doesn't like us in the sin that has separated us from him. And that's the bad news. And we must let it be seasoned with salt. I think as Christians, too many of us have taken a back seat. And I've said this before, and it's so true. You know, in our, in our country, in our culture today, America, uh, in America, Christians have taken a backseat to everything. Like, like one preacher said, you know, everything else has come out of the closet and Christians have gone in the closet. And we feel like we can't say anything. We can't tell anyone the truth. We can't share Christ with you. We can't tell them what the Bible says because we'll be mocked or we'll be socially shamed or we might be put on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else people, people put you on. 
But the Bible's clear. You, you be full of grace, but you also be seasoned with salt. That, that it's salty, that we must take a stand. We must have a standard. And the standard is the word. And we take that and our speech can't leave out the message of Christianity or the gospel that in it there is bad news, that in it we need to repent, that in it we need to trust Christ. And then he also says that we must be prepared to share the gospel at any time. We guard our speech and our conversation full of grace and season with salt, but be prepared to share the gospel at any time. The last part of verse 6, so that you may know how to answer every one. Listen, when you have the opportunity to share Christ, you must be ready. You've got to be prepared. I mean, it's like going out to battle every day. It's like going out with a purpose. It's like going out ready for an answer. You're ready to give the hope and the reason that you have inside of you. And, and for us as Christians, we must effectively share Christ, and we must be ready and willing to be ready for that meeting and opportunity. That for us, it's an honor. It's a privilege. It, it's, it's a calling that we have that we are able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that we have to, it's that we get to, that we want to, that He's Lord of our lives and how good and how great God has been to us and the message that Christ has put in our hearts that we want to share with those who are around us and those who come in contact with us and we got to be ready every single time we're ready to give the answer. Listen, it's going to come many times because they're going to say, man, you have a great family. You're such a really good dad. You must be a really good person. Sometimes you feel like, yeah, I am a really good person. You know what I mean? You want, pride would say, hey, I really do. Feel, I'm a really good guy. But if you wanted to make the most of your opportunity, you could say, well, I'm blessed because God has changed my life and God has given me all these things. Man, it's an easy way. It's an easy way for us to be prepared every moment. No matter what we have or what we do, be ready to share the gospel, be on guard, be ready for the open doors that God has put in your hearts and lives. You think about these three things, they're all essential to our witness for Christ. And we look at our life, you just take the last 30 days, you've had 30 days, in those 30 days, how many opportunities do you think you've missed to share Jesus Christ with someone? Not in a matter of being shameful, not in a matter of trying to guilt you, but in a matter of love and honor and respect. It's that you love Christ so much in your heart and life that you want to share it with someone. That it bubbles over in you. That you are centered on Christ and the lordship of him and the opportunities that you have to share Christ with others. That we need to stay on mission. That, that we have a purpose to be more like Jesus Christ. And we have a mission to make Christ known to those in our circle of influence. Listen, some people can't go to the ends of the world or a mission field, but we have, every one of us has a sphere of influence. Every one of us has people we're in contact with every day. I think you would be surprised if you just took the opportunity in one day to write down the name of every person that you come in contact with and speak a word to. I mean, I think you would be amazed. And you'd be amazed at, uh, for us at how many times we look at those opportunities and we look at those uh, chances that we have and the opportunities we have to share Christ that we overlook and we're not being prepared and we're not vigilant. We're not being watchful. We're not being ready. And Paul comes, and now even amidst a prison, he's not praying for an easier life. You might say, well, if I got an easier job, I'd be a lot easier to witness to my boss. Or, man, if I made a lot more money, I'd have a lot more time so I could slow down and share Christ with someone. Or uh, whatever excuse we can come up with. Paul's not praying for an easier life. Paul's not praying for different circumstances. Paul's saying, in the circumstances I'm in right now, let me be vigilant. Let me be watchful. Let me be prayerful. Let me, be, let me take the most of every opportunity I have to share Christ and see people come to know Christ. Man, what a mission. What a mission we can have. And living 
A Christ-centered life means sharing Christ with others and committing ourselves to growing to those aged. So back to the question I said before, and it's a great question to end with. If you're the only gospel a lost person would read, what would it say? What would the gospel say according to your life? Just take this week. Just say this week, if I could share with you the story of my life and what I did this week, what would the gospel say? As we go through this life, as we use our words, as we use our actions, let us pray, let us be ready, and let us be on mission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. Let's pray together this morning.